Hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I bring you entrepreneurs, founders, co-founders, executives, artists, musicians, you name it, in crypto and blockchain all around the world. And today, I have an amazing guest. I am excited about this interview because it's something that I need to work on it myself. Uh, so uh, his name is Oleg Fomenko. He is the co-founder of the Sweat Economy uh, Oleg, welcome. Thank you very much, Jamil, for having me. You definitely have a kind of radio voice. Uh, absolutely love the the intro. You know, I I wish I could uh, uh, I could project that energy and excitement as you do. Thank you. No, it's great. You know, a, a, a few hundred episodes, I finally got it down. I think a little bit. <laughs> so... <laughs> awesome. Thanks for being here. And, you know, let's let's kick things off, and I'll ask you first: um, What is your background, and is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Absolutely. Um, I mean, first of all, very good question, and many people don't really dig in that direction. They just ask, "What's your background?" But they don't necessarily ask, "How does it link you to what you're doing at the moment?" Um, so I'm not going to dwell too much on my background i'm going to focus on bits and pieces that make my background relevant to what i do right now uh first i've looked at bitcoin for the first time in 2011. um so you know kind of people kind of go oh my god you're an og i, I wish i was an og uh i looked at it i spent an awful lot of time digging into technology and reading everything that was there to read about it and I was fascinated by technology. Stupid me did not buy a few thousand Bitcoin. Uh, that would have been quite handy because the price back then was 20 cents. But I really did think ever since how to integrate, you know, kind of Bitcoin into the businesses that I was involved in or how to build business on Bitcoin or on blockchain and crypto ever since. So Right now, what we're building is really sort of a culmination of that uh, drive. The second thing that is making my experience extremely relevant is pretty much from the year 2007, everything that I've been doing, building and been involved in was mobile first and pretty much mobile only. Um, what does it mean? It means that you know, kind of businesses and ideas that we were developing were first and foremost um, apps and are built for the sort of next generation that is not spending an awful lot of time on laptops or desktops. Frankly, majority of them don't have access to those, but who have a mobile and can install an application. And you know, kind of now, with the benefit of hindsight, I realize how valuable this experience is because when brand new people come from web, especially desktop web, into mobile apps, they find it extremely difficult to think about UX and simple UX and streamlined UX that is not freaking people out and putting too many options in front of them. So that's the second thing that is relevant in my experience. And the Third one is the fact that, well, I, you know, kind of, I'm not the sort of youngest kid on the block, but what I have acquired for those gray hair in my beard and no hair on my head is 
understanding how to build sustainable business and profitable business. And what does it mean to do that in Web3? Well, a lot of people are chasing sort of ethereal TVLs and some other weird and wonderful metrics. What we're focusing on as a business on two things, active users, engaged users, and active transactions. And the second thing is being deflationary. What does it mean? That number of tokens that are entering the market is lower than number of tokens exiting the market, which is basically definition of profitability for Web3. So coming back, Bitcoin and real sort of passion for technology since 2011, the understanding, deep understanding what does it mean to build a successful mobile product? After all, we honed that skill down on building Sweatcoin to 140 plus million users. And the third is focusing on building sustainable and profitable businesses, which is very, very rare in Web3. You're right, it is. <laughs> it is rare. Um, but you have, the, you have a very good basis, you know, and, and you have a good purpose and mission to be able to accomplish that. And that is, you know, sweat coin and the sweat economy, right? Because yeah. that's right. Um, but how do you how do you catalyze cultural change at the intersection of crypto and health? And how do you do it in the sweat economy? And what is that all about? Very good question and quite a sort of deep and philosophical one. I think I'll go from an insight that we've uncovered that really made us extremely successful very quickly. And the insight was that the reason why 100% of people would love to be more physically active but can't is not because they're lacking motivation, is not because they're lacking time, is not because they're lacking money, is not because they're lacking anything, because these are the excuses that people typically give to others and to themselves in early February when they've given up on that gym membership. The reality is the culprit and the issue is nature. Nature did not build you to be active. Nature built you to survive, which means that you are preserving calories as opposed to spending them. And that means that unless there is a food on the horizon that you need to kill in order to feed your tribe, or you are about to become food to saber-toothed tiger, you sit around the fire and you preserve those calories. And nature really wants us to do that. It gave us this thing called present bias in order for us to consistently behave in this fashion. And there is only one solution to it, which is instant gratification. So basically, that was the crux and the core idea of what we were building. How can we create instant gratification for each step? That all of a sudden, your relationship with it and the nature's relationship with your step changes from calorie spending to gainful activity, which switches gears and all of a sudden start to push you to take more steps every day. So what we are building is really building um, sort of economics and psychology into the, tech, into the technology. And we're making you effectively change your relationship with physical activity from, do I really need to do it, you know, to 
oh my God, this is definitely massively beneficial to me. And therefore, nature pushes you to take a longer walk with a dog, to stop riding in a bus and taking those two steps, uh, two stops on the bus on foot, etc., etc. Tiny little nudges on a day-to-day basis that change your routine, that make you put one foot in front of another more times per day. It's interesting that you say walk, take and walk with a dog. You know, I, I have a dog and she, I, I walk her, you know, three to four miles every day almost. And she's kept me and, and, you know, kept me going, you know? Um, so, you know, what, what, what role do you see technology, blockchain technology and other technology playing in improving health and well-being? And what have been some of the greatest breakthroughs breakthroughs that you've seen while you've been a sweat coin so far? Brilliant question. I think that, you know, kind of we see innovation happening all the time, but I suspect that the biggest innovation that we are bringing into the field is the breaking down this trade-off that exists in everyone's mind. In order to be healthier and more physically active, you need to spend money. Because we immediately think, oh, I need a gym membership, or I need to buy a new kit, or I need to buy a new trainer, uh, a pair of trainers, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, kind of we feel that physical activity is costing us money. What we are bringing into the world is the true innovation where in your brain, you can actually break that trade-off because we are paying you to walk. We are literally making you earn more if you are more physically active. How is it possible? Very simply, your physical activity has tangible value. It has tangible value to you because it makes you fitter. It makes you in a better mood. It makes you more productive. It makes you live longer. Because of all of these things, of course, your family is very interested in you being more physically active. Your doctor is interested in making you more physically active because then you bother them less. Your insurer is extremely interested in you being more physically active because then you make fewer claims. And if you have life insurance, then the probability of you claiming that policy or your family claiming that policy is a lot lower because you're going to extend your life and most likely they're not going to have to pay it out. Your employer is very interested because you are more productive, your mood is better, you have absenteeism is lower. So that creates an incredible amount of economic value. Ultimately, countries are benefiting from you being more physically active because, well, you're going to live longer, you're going to be economically active for longer, you're going to pay more taxes. So... It is a very, very simple story of the benefits for everybody. And another way of thinking about it is, imagine if we, humanity, over the last 200 years have created attention economy, which is, by some estimates, is worth $7 trillion. So all the big tech, pretty much Google, Facebook, are all created by the attention economy. Now... Why on earth we don't have physical activity economy? Because guess what? Attention is beneficial to you because 
every single interaction starts with attention. Attention is valuable to those that attract your attention because then they can, you know, sell you something. Physical activity is very similar in that sense. Being physically active is beneficial to you. And other parties that I mentioned, doctor or healthcare providers, insurers, employers are all interested in your physical activity. If we manage to get $7 trillion out of attention, I think that the physical activity economy is even bigger. That's basically what we're building. Our crypto sweat, which is tokenized physical activity, is there to help power all of those economic interactions with your healthcare providers, with your insurers, and with your employers. And ultimately, we believe that it is going to be used as part of your tax payment because that means you care about yourself, you put lower pressure on healthcare costs, and you're going to live longer, and your tax revenues to the country are going to be higher. Yeah. I think there's a, I, I see it being higher than seven trillion. I agree with you. Um, I do have a dichotomy there or, you know, a conflict of interest, right? <laughs> okay. Tell me. My conflict of interest is I do, I am in the attention economy, I'm a podcaster and an author, but I also enjoy my props, you know? And yeah. you want to improve their performance in their house, in their lives, in fitness, right? But people also want to protect their data, their privacy, including their data privacy. So how do you how do you begin to address that that conflict? You know, how do you improve performance while protecting data privacy? Yeah, you know what? We're not starting to address it. We are addressing it by design. We are a European company that has our data servers in Europe. That's how we started our Web2 business, Sweatcoin, where we have more than 140 million users worldwide registered. And one of the reasons why we keep data in Europe is so that we are subject to GDPR, which, as you would know, is the most draconian privacy-protecting legislation that exists in the world. And the reason why we like that is because, you know, we believe that this data is not up to us to transfer or sell to any third party ever. We never did it, we don't do it, and we never will. And basically what happens is that verification that your movement is genuine happens on the private side of blockchain and only the end result the verified physical activity ends up on chain. But it is impossible to re-engineer and reconstruct your pattern of walking or the time when you walked exactly out of this information. So this is the role of the Oracle that sort of takes care of that and hides personally identifiable info from prying eyes of somebody that is digging into on-chain activity. However, there is one thing that we are looking for doing in the future, and we have already spoken to a number of data union projects. We can, in principle, give you, our user, a right to flick the switch and pull the data that is currently off-chain and is sitting absolutely inaccessible to nobody on-chain and start earning from it. But 
We will never do it as a business, and we will only do it after we completely decentralize, where DAO of all the token holders votes to enable this technology, and then each individual person will have to opt in as opposed to opt out, and they will earn only if they flick the switch and they make a conscious decision that I do not worry about my data. You do, and millions of people do. There are some people that are telling us, you know what, I don't actually mind, and I wouldn't mind monetizing this information. So we want to give them an opportunity to monetize the data, give interested parties an opportunity to understand what is happening with the movement pattern. For example, when lockdowns happened, we saw that Spain, that you might know had one of the most draconian lockdowns in the world, lost 85% of all physical activity within the space of 24 hours. This type of information does not exist right now and is not available to, I don't know, insurers, to healthcare providers, because having this information and knowing the duration of it, you can actually calculate how much extra weight the population is put on how much more is going to have to be invested into healthcare in order to deal with certain conditions that are driven by sedentary behavior and extra weight, et cetera, et cetera. So we believe that this data is valuable and there will be a lot of parties willing to pay for it. And if you decide that your data can be made public, who are we to say, no, 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 no. You know, can, we can enable it, but the ultimate decision is yours. That's a very interesting point. You know, there is that data out there that that data sets that are not yet to be collected, right? That you can be sold, right? So you are creating, I believe you are creating a data marketplace where how do you how do you build up the data marketplace and improve that visibility, you know, for these global like like Spain, like these global communities? How do you do that? Well, we don't at the moment. What we know is that we're discussing this with our community and we are definitely one of the most decentralized projects out there. Our last governance vote attracted more than 380,000 votes. I cannot confirm this, but I cannot find any vote by any other project out there that attracted more users. So, you know, can I believe that, you know, can that we are definitely out there in terms of decentralization and giving our users an opportunity to influence the course of uh, uh, our development. As I mentioned, we do not transfer or sell data right now, and we will not. But what we will do is once we have an interesting solution for data union, we'll put it forward to a community and say, look, we have an opportunity to do this. Do you want us to spend time and effort and resources on integrating with them? If community says yes, then we will do it. And then effectively, this will give any community member an opportunity to flick the switch, pull the data, movement data that they have, and make it available to be analyzed for interested party in exchange for sweat. So they will be earning and the community will be earning. But until community overwhelmingly votes to implement something like this, we are not going to touch it with a six-foot pole. As I said, I don't believe that 
this is a decision that we can take on behalf of our users. Got it. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Um, so you can use us being absolutely safe and in your knowledge that none of the data will ever be transferred or sold to any third party. Good. Good. Okay. So you mentioned a little earlier, you mentioned the attention economy. So I want to, I want to drive, drive some parallels. There, there have been like a lot of movements over the past few years. You had a truck, there's truckers in Canada. You had some marshes in the U S you had BLM, you had all these movements and you have, you know, uh, stuff going on in France, right? You know, but as far as the attention economy, right? There's none of these have been like sustainable. They've all been like flash in the pan or, or, or a brief short-term thing, or you move, move people in a short amount of time. There's never been like a blueprint for sustainability, right? How do you, in your business building, you know, create that blueprint for sustainability and what lessons can people learn from what you're doing? Yeah, great question. And I can see I can see why this can be a sentiment in uh, many people's minds. I think this refers back to my third point of my relevant experience where I've been building businesses and building sustainable businesses for quite a long time because I believe that business that is not sustainable is not a business, it's a charity. And is not to, you know, kind of to say that we don't need charities and, you know, they don't play a role, no. But if you're building a business, one of the most important milestones is to make sure that you're breaking even or you are profitable. And for that, you need to be thinking about this from the very beginning. There are plenty of examples in recent years in Web3 of play-to-earn, move-to-earn projects that have done, you know, kind of interesting things that flew for a very, very short period of time, but ended up being sort of flash in the pan and a lot of people got hurt by them. We, of course, because we started, as I mentioned, already in 2014, 2015, had plenty of experience of prepare for this, think through our token economics. And in most basic sense, the biggest difference from those projects with us is that we do not charge end user money at the entrance with the promise that they will be able to earn more once they're in. As soon as you make a promise like that, and as soon as you adopt model like this, you become hostage of fortune because effectively you create Ponzi scheme where your revenue depends on your users paying at the door, but these users come in in order to get paid more than they paid at the door. Where do you get this money from the next user that comes in through the door? And this is what we definitely have not been doing. Our app is free to join and free to use. We do have premium subscription and many users pay for it, but fundamentally it is free to go in. And where do we get money? We get money from partners, brands, and businesses 
that want to reward your physical activity and attract attention of physically active people. If you sports, health, fitness, vanity, fashion, makeup, dog accessories brand, then paying us and getting exposure to our users is a lot better business than paying to Google or to Facebook because there you do not know how physically active these people are. You're hoping that they are. In our world, you can even price your products on the basis of physical activity. If you want to attract super athletes, you put a very high price. If you want to attract everyone who is engaged and interested in being physically active, you put low price. You know, very simple, but it gives you an opportunity to fish in the pond and reward users that are your dream audience as opposed to go far and wide and appeal to users that potentially will never ever be attracted to you otherwise i like it i like it a lot focus on your on your who you want to be as your customer right um yeah and you mentioned facebook you mentioned um other social media platforms google and you know part of people joining your economy is going to be bringing them from their web 2 experience to a web 3 experience right how do you bring yeah. them over? <laughs> Brilliant question. We do it by not doing a Web3 user experience. As you would know, you know, kind of, there is a almost a running gag already. The Web3 UX is extremely complicated. First of all, there is an over-obsession at the very beginning with security. I'm not saying that security doesn't matter, but to a user that is just coming in who has zero assets on their account, overblowing fears of security is just too early. Why, why do they need to record 24 words and not take a screenshot of that? Uh, you know, kind of, and, and there is a lot of frightening text. Don't take a screenshot. You, know, kind of, you have to write it down somewhere keep it safe, but not where you live. And people are like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm just trying to register on the app. And all of a sudden, you know, kind of, it's so difficult and so complicated. If you just think like a user and you let people go in easily, and as they're building their assets, you're saying, look, you already have some value on this account. If you want to make sure that it is safer, you know, do this put a seed phrase or secret phrase on your account and record it somewhere. If you don't want to do it, we can leave things as is. So you take people on a journey that is a lot easier for them to understand, that requires fewer steps. And another thing that is extremely important is using language that people understand. When you go into a lot of Web3 services or Web3 apps, that would be hodl, staking, and a lot of terminology that people really cannot engage with because, you know, it literally is a different language for them. Now, you know, what is hodl? You save, you keep your tokens. What is staking? It's a savings account. Everyone's familiar with that concept. So all of a sudden, once you start simplifying user experience and once you start simplifying the language then all of a sudden it is heck of a lot easier for people to join 
our business right now, Web3, Sweat Economy, is attracting more than 10,000 users a day, a day into it. And the reason for it is very simple because, you know, you can, and you can try it for yourself. You go through the experience, it's so smooth and so easy that you don't even know that you've ended up in uh, uh, Web3. And then you start discovering all these great products and all these great users, uh, how you can use sweat and you familiarize yourself and you go like, oh, I can, I, can, I can do this. I can enjoy this. And all of a sudden, instead of spending a long time onboarding into a wallet, saving that 24 words, and then having to put in your credit card and part with at least a few hundred dollars, because that's how much it takes to even start a journey, because otherwise you're not going to be able to afford transaction fees. In our world, you start moving your feet, you earn your first tokens, and all of a sudden you can engage with an NFT game. You can create your grow jar, which is the way we're calling uh, staking for our users. You can win rewards on the basis of kind of prize draws. You can trade your tokens. So all of a sudden, with zero cost, you can experience all of these things and kind of go, oh, actually, you know what? It's not as hard and it's not as complicated as I anticipated it to be. And then all of a sudden, you start being interested in other chains in other tokens. So we are truly playing the role of an onboarding flow for not just for near ecosystem where we're building, but for all chains. And that is the reason why we have put quite a lot of effort into the functionality which we call learn and earn, because a lot of our users, they want to understand how this works or that works. And we explain to them what is Growjar and how does it work and how come that they earn some interest. And we're using this functionality as well to introduce them to projects that they will benefit from. So, for example, there is a DEX on NIR that we're working with right now and we're explaining that's what decentralized exchange does. That's how you engage with it. Click on it and go and engage. And if you engage with it, then we can give you a reward. So this is, this is like having sort of an advertising on steroids that is very carefully curated. So we wouldn't, you know, promote or partner with a project that is not genuine and is not delivering genuine value to our users. But if project can and does that, then all of a sudden you can not just deliver a message, which typically with advertising is disruptive and you kind of, you try to make it go away here. It's the goal. Then we can confirm that you, you know, kind of, uh, that, that, that you absorb that information by having a quiz. And then we can put in front of you a quest, go and trade minimum $1, for example. And if you do, you can earn, you know, an additional reward. So this is the type of stuff that is extremely in demand right now. And given our scale and given the fact that we have more than 2 million users, you know, kind of a lot of projects come into us and they want to get in front of our users and promote their tokens, their NFT collections, and just basically their, their products to uh, this uh, incredibly large Web3 user base. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because I've seen, I've seen a certain project that wasn't yours over the weekend get like, you know, attention from a whole bunch of people who were, you know, in Web3 already saying, this is for the normies. But then I talked to normies and they're like, 
don't know how to do that. <laughs> you know, it's, so it's not for the normies, you know, but so uh, it's good to see that you're having an audience and growing it. That's wonderful. Um, so yeah, more than 90% of our users are brand new to Web3. We're first ever crypto asset that they have. And yeah, I think that this is this is exactly kind of our specialty to bring in people that are keen and interested, but felt that it was too complicated, too difficult, and too incomprehensible for them to engage. Excellent. So let's talk about and let's talk about comprehensibility then. You know, from a world from a world perspective, you know, um, and I want to talk about a little bit about the World Health Organization. They've listed, you know, over the years, they listed six core components to health systems. And I want to see how you fit into that, you know, and let me see if I can get bring them up. OK, um, the, the, those six are leadership and governments, leadership and governance, service delivery, health system financing, health workforce, medical products, vaccines and technologies and health information systems. How do you where do you fit into those? And how can people start to think in our daily lives in terms of what those core components are uh, for health systems so people can improve the health in their lives and be a, be a beneficial part of your economy? Brilliant question and very sophisticated one. Um, is it okay if I if I give it you know kind of a few seconds thought? The sort of simple answer is we are across all of these six areas. If you start thinking about these six areas, you, you see verticals which go from treatment, which is what World Healthcare, or sorry, World Health Organization is focusing on, all the way to prevention and prophylaxis. And each of these six would be relevant in both medical treatment on dealing with a you know kind of medical condition, as well as prevention and prophylaxis. Where we sit is in that area of prevention and prophylaxis. Because one of the best ways of not ending up in hospital, not ending up on the surgery table, is to be physically active. And a lot of healthcare organizations around the world are recognizing this. So for example, we do have a very large scale contract with a national health service in the UK. And what is that contract about? It's not about treating people, but it is about preventing people becoming diabetic. So diabetes 2 is typically coming in two phases. One is a pre-diabetic syndrome. So you are, not you, but one is identified as a diabetes risk. And effectively, you're given about six months to change your diet and more importantly, change your lifestyle. It is a lot easier to change one's diet than to change lifestyle. And where we come in is we're helping people to put more physical activity into their everyday life so that within that six months, they change or they bring enough change into their life to not become diabetic. That saves hundreds of thousands of pounds 
per person over their lifetime. And of course, it prevents them from becoming diabetic. That is an incredible improvement over their quality of life through the whole duration of their life and they live longer. So this is just to give you an illustration. So it's across all sex, but it is firmly on prevention and prophylaxis where I think all of us are starting to, you know, kind of focus a lot more. All of us are trying to think, how do I prevent from ending up there as opposed to, okay, if that happens, where do I go? So yeah, it's a bit more sort of forward thinking. I'm gonna, uh, I agree with you on the diabetes part. Um, the part, the, the part that I think we, uh, that I want to ask about on a follow-up from that is personal motivation, right? Um, I've had cancer for two and a half years. It's a two and it's a two and a million, you know, um, and it's a type of sarcoma. But I'm walking my dog every day because you know I want to. I believe in getting better someday, you know, um, and that helps. How about the people who are like, oh, well, I have this now. I can't exercise anymore. Or like don't have lost lack of motivation. How? What words of inspiration you have that to join your community so that they, they can be part of their lives and help them to move forward um, for their future? Okay, first of all, massive respect for your attitude uh, on kind of how you're dealing with it. Um, my words of inspiration would be... When we were starting this business, and I was doing quite a lot of research, I was also interested in longevity. And one of the things that you know came loud and clear to me, um, the you know there are plenty of hypotheses how to sort of increase our health span of uh, humans, and how to help them dealing with conditions like you know you have, and uh, one of the worst things that happens is that you know our cells are stopping to divide and therefore you know kind of your body cannot really continue splitting and producing healthier cells to you know to help you move forward and the reason for it is your telomeres are which is the ending of a chromosome that is needed there in order for your chromosome to be able to split and recreate and effectively create the copy of itself the only way known to man right now to make those telomeres longer, therefore allowing cells to divide, is by being physically active. So there is so much evidence, including the latest sort of genetic research and epigenetic research, that says that, you know what, being physically active is undoubtedly and is incredibly valuable thing. Don't push yourself too hard. Don't run, the, you know, kind of ultra marathons a day. That for most humans, this is too far. But actually, doing those seven, eight, nine, ten thousand steps a day is going to have a remarkable impact on your well-being, on your shape, and on your life expectancy. No matter what condition you have. And that is a major driver behind us as a business because, you know, look, a lot of businesses, when they win, you lose. Facebook makes more money when you spend more time on that feed. Is that good for you? Does it make your life better? 
when they make more money. In our world, what we have is a very interesting thing where when we make you walk more, you are definitely better off. And we are better off and we're making money. So we are in that privileged position where we actually can drive helpful leather for that vision and the mission of making the world more physically active. And there's no conflict. It's not that we are winning and people are losing and we're making money at their expense. We are helping the world to be more physically active. We are making these people wealthier because we literally pay them to walk. And as a sustainable and profitable business, we are also able to make money out of it. It is pretty incredible. And I think I feel really privileged every day that we do not need to invent some kind of story that explains our existence. But, you know, kind of people are starting to look underneath it and notice that mm, this doesn't add up. In our world, it really is quite simple. Mind you, hopefully in 20 or 30 years, we'll encounter an issue where we will make the world walk 10,000 steps a day. And then all of a sudden people are like, why are you pushing all these people to go beyond 10,000? I've been asked this question once, and my answer was, now, you know what? It is a good problem. And once we reach it, I'm going to genuinely busy and figure out how to solve it. But we're so far away, I don't want to overcomplicate my life and try to solve something that, frankly, is largely irrelevant. Because people in Europe walk 5,000 steps a day on average. People in the U.S. walk 3,000 steps a day on average. And we're about 3x and a bit away from those dream 10,000 steps. So you know what? We still have a long way to go before we might need to stop, you know, to start thinking how do we slow down and how do we kind of not push super active uh, parts of a population. At the moment, it's helpful leather. Let's make the world more physically active. We'll create an incredible amount of value for everybody and for their families and businesses and healthcare, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'm really excited about sort of building this, you know, economy of physical activity or movement economy. Because if we can create something similar to attention economy, I think that would be absolutely incredible. And that will power all of those use cases that we can only, you know, kind of talk about right now. Incredible. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting 10,000 steps in a day. Thanks to my dog. <laughs> you know, um, so I think exactly. What <laughs> yeah, I love it. What you're doing, too. So um, I also have a dog and I walk with him every day and he's just a member of a family and he's definitely responsible for, you know, kind of huge chunk of those steps. I, you know, kind of I take on a daily basis. So I want to thank you very, very much for your time today. I love what you're doing. Um, my, I have one last question. This is probably the easiest one I asked you. It's, 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 it's this. Um, it's how can people find out more information about you, about the sweat economy? How can they participate? How can they join in? Brilliant question. And actually, as from today, literally today, everyone pretty much in the world can do it because we were not live in the US up until today. So it's uh, uh, kind of in, in the, it's an exciting release time for us. 
So what you do is you go to App Store or Google Play and you search for Sweat Coin. That is our health and fitness app. You install it and you will see a banner in there, walk into crypto. You just follow the instructions and all of a sudden you're going to have your health and fitness application with pedometer, etc. And you will be primed and ready for our launch in the US that is scheduled for the 12th of September. If you live outside of the US, then you will be able to start walking right away. It's only, you know, we had a number of countries that didn't participate in the launch last year, and we're fixing this because, you know, kind of community was up in arms, making me, you know, kind of, uh, kind of unable to think about anything else because they're like, why are we excluded? You know, what's going on? So, you know, after doing a lot of legal regulatory product work, we have realized that you know, kind of, we have no option to uh, then then to go live in the US as well. So, Sweatcoin, App Store, Google Play. If you want more info, you can find me on Twitter, Oleg underscore FEM, or you can uh, follow Sweat Economy um, on Twitter, get our Discord, Telegram. You know, kind of, we're absolutely everywhere. You'd be in good company. Our community is about one million strong. So you know, kind of, that's uh, you're not going to be the first ones to to join. Come and join. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today, Jamil. It's been an absolute pleasure. I wish you have a great day and enjoy your walking with the uh, with your dog and to beat that thing. That uh, you know, I'm sure it's going to happen. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Thank you.